Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Tuesday, April 13th. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's what you need to know today. Tensions between Israel and Iran put pressure on the U.S. Plus, how one failed union vote against Amazon will shape big tech companies in the future. But first, today's one big thing. Another police-involved killing in Minneapolis. The fatal police shooting of 20-year-old unarmed Black man, Dante Wright, just outside Minneapolis, was accidental. That's what Brooklyn Center Police Chief Tim Gannon said yesterday. What I can do is convey my deepest sympathies to the Wright family and be transparent with the information I'm aware of at this time. As I watch the video and listen to the officer's commands, it is my belief that the officer had the intention to deploy their taser, but instead shot Mr. Wright with a single bullet. Wright's death sparked protests and civil unrest just miles away from where former officer Derek Chauvin is on trial for the killing of George Floyd. Tori Van Oot is Axios's Twin Cities reporter. Tori, what are police saying about how this could have happened? So as you heard in the tape, police are saying that this was essentially a tragic accident that happened during a traffic stop. Police had pulled over Dante Wright and realized that there was an outstanding warrant for his arrest, they said. And they released some body cameras showing the encounter that followed. And what you see is the officers are trying to apprehend uh, Dante Wright, and he tries to get back in the car. At that point, the officer appears to be saying, taser, taser, that she's grabbing for her taser. And what police say is that she grabbed for her gun instead and accidentally discharged it. How are people reacting to the police saying this was accidental? You know, the reaction has not been good. People here in the Twin Cities are already very much on edge. Emotions are high, tensions are high, because of course this is all unfolding against the backdrop of the trial of Derek Chauvin and the death of George Floyd. But it's important to remember that it's not just George Floyd's death that is top of mind for people here in the Twin Cities. We've grappled with a number of high-profile police shootings in recent years. Solando Castile, Jamar Clark, Justine Damon. So all of this is really fresh in people's minds. And there's a sense that enough is enough and substantial changes to policing need to be made now. How has the Chauvin trial been affected by all of this? This is all happening basically in the same place. It is. And on Monday, Chauvin's attorneys actually asked the judge to start sequestering the jury now instead of uh, when deliberations start, probably next week, because they're worried about the impact and the jury seeing the coverage of, of the unrest, of the protests, of the community. The judge did deny that request, but that kind of gives you a sense of how this is expected to potentially influence and play out in the trial. And we're also seeing security measures ramp up, security that we are expecting to start closer to closing arguments, closer to jury deliberations uh, next week are picking up now. Tori Van Oot is one of Axios' Twin Cities reporters. Thank you, Tori. Thank you. In 15 seconds, how the bombing of an Iranian nuclear site affects U.S. diplomacy in the region. Welcome back to Axios Today. Iran is blaming Israel for an explosion at one of its uranium enrichment facilities. The Biden administration is saying the U.S. played no part in the event. But what does it mean for American diplomacy in the region? Barack Ravid is a contributing correspondent for Axios based in Tel Aviv. Good morning, Barack. Hi. Barack, what do we know about Israeli involvement in this incident? 
I think it's pretty clear that Israel is behind this attack. And uh, simply because even in Israel, where usually in those kind of events, the government is trying to, you know, stay silent or even put censorship over such a sensitive national security issue, this time almost every big Israeli media outlet reported several hours after the incident that there was an involvement of the Mossad. So clearly, the Israeli government wanted the Iranians to know that Israel was behind this. Let's talk about the timing of this, because this also happened as U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is on a trip to Israel. How does this affect the U.S. in ongoing relations with Iran, even if the U.S. says they didn't have anything to do with this? Several weeks ago, Israel and the U.S. had started the strategic dialogue on Iran. And one of the basic understandings in the first round of the talks was a no surprises policy. Each side will be transparent with the other. And as you said, it seems it's very unclear whether Israel updated or notified the U.S. in advance of the operation in Natanz and other operations like an attack on an Iranian ship in the Red Sea that the U.S. also announced very clearly that it was not involved in and that it was an Israeli operation. It seems that there are some problems in the coordination between Israel and the U.S., or that maybe the Israeli government doesn't want to keep the U.S. in the loop in order for for it not to get a red light from the White House. And it's not only that Secretary of Defense Austin was in Israel this week. On Wednesday, there is the second round of the nuclear talks in Vienna, indirect talks between the U.S. and Iran. It will be very interesting to see how such a thing, such an incident in Natanz, will influence the diplomatic talks. And another thing, today, the National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and his team will have a virtual meeting with the Israeli National Security Advisor and his team on Iran. This will be another round of strategic talks on Iran. And I'm sure that one of the questions that the Americans will ask the Israelis is, where are you going with those operations? What are you trying to tell us? And it will be interesting to see whether the U.S. will demand Israel to stop those operations or at least be more transparent. We'll see what answers come out of that meeting today. Barack Ravid writes the Axios from Tel Aviv newsletter. Thanks, Barack. Thank you. The long-awaited results from a union election at an Amazon warehouse in Alabama were announced this past weekend, and the union lost. So what does this vote mean for future labor organizing efforts? That's what I asked Axios's chief technology correspondent, Ina Freed. Workers at an Alabama distribution center for Amazon have voted overwhelmingly not to join a union. The move represents a significant setback for those within organized labor that would like to see more unionization within tech. It probably won't mean the end of union efforts at Amazon and elsewhere, but it does show that it's going to be a pretty high hurdle for any organized labor efforts. I do think we'll see more efforts similar to what we've seen at Google with the Alphabet Workers Union, which is a so-called minority union, meaning it doesn't represent the majority of workers, they can't bargain collectively, but they can raise issues, and so-called minority unions do have some benefits. They can include both workers and management, as well as contractors and full-time employees alike. 
unlike traditional unions. Ina Fried is Axios' chief technology correspondent. Before we go today, last night, American Muslims began celebrating the holy month of Ramadan, a time of worldwide fasting and religious service, which includes zakat, charitable giving. Billions of dollars are raised during Ramadan for Muslim charities. Like last year, the U.N. Zakat Refugee Fund raised more than $55 million in the first six months of 2020. To all who celebrate, Ramadan Mubarak. That's it for today. You can reach our team at podcasts at Axios.com or find me on Twitter. My handle's Nyla Boo. If you want more news before tomorrow, tune into our afternoon podcast, Axios Recap. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.